You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst at MLB.com. Joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Friday morning, October 1st, and we are in the thick of the upcoming postseason wildness. And to that end, we're going to dispense with our usual format today because as much as I'd like to pick Yoshi Sutsugo as my guy you should know more about, I think we only care about the playoffs right now. There are 12 teams that are still alive for the playoffs, and we are going to go and do a couple minutes on each one of them. But before we do that... Matt, I know this is what you're most interested in. Can we just take like a second to give a cheer to the Orioles? Because the Orioles are having a dreadful season. They're 52 and 107. They are obviously not one of our 12 teams that are alive for the playoffs. And as uh, you and I discussed last week, and then I wrote about it, the American League playoffs, the wild card at least seemed like it could run through Baltimore because they got to play the Red Sox. And then this weekend they'll play Toronto. And they took two out of three from the Red Sox last night. Alexander Wells gave up a home run on the first pitch of the game to Kike Hernandez, and they still won. I cannot imagine a more crushing outcome for Red Sox fans than dropping two out of three to Baltimore. But it happened to you. Here, this is me clapping. Orioles, not a good season. That that was hilarious. I enjoyed that greatly. And I will the uh, whoever runs the Orioles Twitter account has been having all sorts of fun with this. Uh, as many fans remember, in 2011, the Orioles also played spoiler against the Red Sox, and and ended up like kind of like taking you know, ruining their playoff chances with a win on the final day with Robert Andino getting the walk off hit for the Orioles on the last day of 2011 season. This morning, the Orioles Twitter account changed its Twitter photo to a photo of Robert Andino. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty funny, and all week has really just been leaning into this whole the whole spoiler thing, and it's been it's been uh, it's been enjoyable uh, to see to see what the Orioles are doing. One thing I've enjoyed about watching the games this week is that you actually can. It's I mean Ryan Mountcastle has been he hit another big homer last night. He's had a really nice season for them. He's honestly one of the first players where you're like, okay, this guy could be part of like the future for Baltimore. Like he's, he's still rookie eligible. He's young. Like, okay, maybe we're starting to see a little bit. Seven Rollins maybe as well. But again, he's a little older. His situation is a little clear, less clear cut. But like Ryan Mountcastle, he's got 30-something home runs. He's been really great in the second half. It's like, okay, this could be a piece. And I really like to see that. As much as I would appreciate spending like 45 minutes just talking about the 2021 Orioles, we should at least talk about what could happen in the American League wildcard. Again, we'll get to each team that is still alive in a minute, but the American League wildcard specifically is just chaos. At the moment, the Yankees are up by two games for the first wildcard spot. The Red Sox and the Mariners are tied for the second wildcard spot, and the Blue Jays are still alive one game behind. So the Yankees have 68 losses, Boston, Seattle, 70, Toronto, 71. Now I'm trying to think of ways to make this even more complex and complicated. I know it's going to rain in Boston on Monday (laughs) if there's a tiebreaker and it's going to rain here in New York on Tuesday. If the Yankees were to host the wildcard game, it's going to get weird. The final series for this weekend are interesting. None of the teams play each other. Like that would be super fun. Unfortunately, like we just saw the Red Sox and Yankees last weekend was cool. Yankees and Blue Jays just now was pretty cool. All of these teams, well, I should take that back. Three of these teams play, let's say, 
non-competitive opponents, although we just saw with the Orioles, that doesn't always mean anything. The Blue Jays play Baltimore, the Mariners play the Angels, the Red Sox go to Washington, and the Yankees play the Rays, who are very good, but they don't have a ton to play for. And on Sunday, the final game of the season, all four of those games start at the same time at three o'clock. I don't know what you'll be doing on Sunday at three. <laughs> I know what I'll be doing. It won't be watching the Giants or the Jets. I don't know if they play at one. They're terrible. I will be watching this because it's going to be fun. All right. Our friend uh, and colleague, Anthony Castrovins, wrote a great story about the potential tiebreaker scenarios for this. And we're just focusing on the American League wildcard for a minute. It's possible still that the Dodgers and Giants could play a game. I don't think that's likely, but it is possible. But for the American League wildcard, it is still possible to have a four-way tie and two Monday tiebreakers. I don't think that's likely. A lot would have to happen, but it is possible. But I think like a three-way tie, I don't want to say it's likely, but it's realistic. And depending on who's in it and how it works out, it could potentially cause tiebreakers on Monday and Tuesday and push the American League wildcard game back a day. I guess maybe you know better than I do. Would they play both AL and NL wildcard games on the same day, or would that also push back the NL game a day? I don't actually know how that would work. I don't know the answer to that, and that's a very good question. I think this has always been one of those, like, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. I mean, we usually game out, we spend a lot of time gaming out these tiebreaker scenarios, and in my many years of doing this, I've, I've learned, like, okay, let's just wait as long as we can, because they so often, they basically never happen. We've never really, we, I don't think we've had, we've never had to get, play out a three-way tiebreaker before. We've had two-team tiebreakers. I don't think we've ever had to play out a three-team one. If the Blue Jays had won last night, the four-team tiebreaker was very much in play. I think that's pretty unlikely now. It would require the Yankees to go 0-3 this weekend uh, at home against the Rays, which seems unlikely given, as you mentioned, the Rays have nothing to play for. Although, as I said on this podcast last week, the Rays and the Yankees do not like each other. The Rays are a team of depth to begin with, so it's not like they're like, "Oh, we've got some superstar players. We're gonna we're gonna rest." Right? It's not like they're, like, "Oh, we're gonna rest our ace pitcher." Like we don't even know who the ace pitcher is. Right? The Rays are gonna want to play spoiler. So as long as the Yankees have not clinched, the Rays are gonna want to win these games and keep the Yankees out of the playoffs. There's no question in my mind about that. So like in many ways, the Yankees have the toughest match, even though they're playing the team that is then to play for. They have the toughest matchup this weekend. So Anthony wrote about all of the different, you know, what could happen if they're tiebreakers. And it's super complicated, and I'm not going to go through his entire article here. You should read it. But the thing that stood out to me is if you have a three-way tiebreaker, right? If you have three teams that are tied, they are ranked based on head-to-head records against each other. They're basically selected as Team A, Team B, and Team C in order of head-to-head winners. And so Team A would play Team B, and that winner of that game would get one spot. And then the next day, Team B would play Team C, for the second spot. And I've seen writers of some teams saying like, you know, if this all happens in a certain way, our team could play five games in five cities in five days, <laughs> which is hilarious. Um, but I want to quote one part that Anthony wrote because I found it really interesting. The designation, excuse me, the designation decision would come down to having up to two chances to advance as club A or taking their chances on a single game at home as club C against a team that is not rested and has had to travel. And I got to be honest, I think we should make that a rule for each year. Like, I think having to pick that would be super fun because just like imagine the strategy and thought that goes into that. And one more thing on this, this is where my personal and professional lives are directly in conflict. Here's baseball fan Mike. Yes, this rules. This is great. This is so exciting. Here's the Mike that is supposed to do the 
ESPN2 StatCast broadcast of the American League wildcard game. I'm dying. I need to know who's playing and when and where because it's really hard to do a StatCast broadcast when you don't know who's in it and therefore cannot look up all sorts of fun and interesting facts. I'm excited about this. We're going to take a quick break. We will come back and we will go through each of the seven American League teams still alive for the postseason. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Matt Myers and Mike Petriello. We're going to go through each of the American League teams still alive for the postseason. That's seven of them. We'll spend a quick couple minutes on each team, take a break, go to the National League team. For the American League, we're going to do this in, uh, let's say, reverse order of Fangraph's playoff odds. The Blue Jays are still alive. They are 88-71. and 71. They have a 14% chance to make the playoffs, and I think that sounds about right because not only do they need to basically win out, they need a little bit of help. You know, they are now behind three different teams for the two playoff spots. I will be honest with you, Matt. I did not get the opportunity to watch a lot of last night's game, um, but I know you did, and you had some thoughts about what they allowed Robbie Ray to do. It's, I mean, I was watching this game, and they just taken the lead uh, going into the top of the sixth inning. Vlad Guerrero Jr. just missed a home run by a centimeter. I don't know. It literally hit the top of the wall, a line drive to deep center field. Hit the top of the wall and like shot straight up into the air. <laughs> Can I say I appreciate your usage of the word centimeter when talking about the Blue Jays here? That's very good. <laughs> um, and they gave the Blue Jays the lead. Roger Center was rocking. That place is 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 fantastic in October. I've actually been to been to a playoff game there. It's awesome. This the atmosphere is great. They go to the top of the top of the sixth. Robbie Ray's pitching. Robbie Ray, I should mention, at that point had retired twelve in a row. So. "Quote unquote," you want if you want to argue he's dealing, he's "quote unquote" dealing. Although I, my counter argument would be he only had four strikeouts on the night, and his command was shaky. He was not even if you think he was not dominating by any stretch of the imagination, right? They let him face DJ LeMay, he to lead off the sixth. Totally understandable, makes sense. Grounds out. Okay, thirteen in a row. He's retired thirteen in a row. And I bring this up because if the Blue Jays do make it, I really think Charlie Montoya is going to have to change the way he manages in October, right? So then Anthony Rizzo comes up next. Obviously, you let Ray face Rizzo. He's they're leading. He has the platoon advantage. One out, no one on. Okay, understandable. Rizzo hits a good plate appearance, turns on an inside fastball, hits a home run. Tip your cap to Anthony Rizzo. I get it. After that, Aaron Judge comes on. At this point, he's no longer retired 13 in a row. It's a tie game. He hasn't been dominating. This is his third time through the lineup, right? Aaron Judge hits his second home run of the night dead center field, like an absolute missile dead center field. On a meatball too. <laughs> like, <laughs> on a meatball. Yeah. It is now three to two Yankees. You are now losing. He has now given up back-to-back home runs. Then John Carlos Stanton comes up. Um, you may want to come get your guy, Charlie Montoya. <laughs> like this is this is get this is like Stanton is in beast mode right now, right-handed hitter. You no longer have the put to an advantage. You've just given up back-to-back home runs. What are we doing? 
He walks Giancarlo Stanton, and then another right-hand hitter comes up, Glaber Torres. Okay, you definitely have to get him out now. You definitely have to get him out. He does not. Glaber Torres then hits a home run. It is now 5-2 to two Blue Jays. Game is over. I don't care that Robbie Ray may still win the Cy Young Award because he both he and Garrett Cole pitched poorly in their last starts of the season in a, in a pennant race. So it's like no one really went out on a high note. I don't care if Robbie Ray might win the Cy Young. You had to get him out. You definitely had to get him out for Gleyber Torres. You probably should have got him out for Giancarlo Stanton. I was watching this game. If it's the playoffs, you can't let him pitch to those guys right there. I know people love the drama of starting pitchers going to deep in the games. I love it too. That ship has sailed. Mike, Mike helpfully put this put this in front of me. This Robbie Ray times through the order this season. First time through the order, he's allowed a 609 OPS. Second time through the order, a 550 OPS. Third time through the order, a 936 OPS. And this is even for the guy who might win the American <laughs> League Cy Young Award. That was that was. I mean, that might have cost him a playoff spot right there. It I, really, really might have cost him a playoff spot. Yeah, I I get a little frustrated sometimes myself with the the third time through the order stats because. It's not like, you know, you face the number nine guy the second time and then you magically turn into a pumpkin like it, it doesn't work that way. But also those numbers you just quoted <laughs> are ridiculous where it was like 400 more points. And I think for Ray in particular, like obviously he's been fantastic, but he kind of gets by on two pitches more or less. You know, he's got a really good fastball. He's got a really good slider. His other pitches he just doesn't use all that much. And I think that's the kind of guy who isn't as effective turning a lineup over multiple times because you're not giving anybody different looks. And I think if I'm looking at the manager's decision, I'm probably thinking, well, I mean, Bray's been great, but also do you trust much of the Toronto bullpen? Like, have they given you much reason to? Probably not. I agree with you. I would have uh, kept him in after the Rizzo home run. And I think after Judge goes deep, that's maybe when I'm bringing out the hook. And especially after Stanton hits. And I, I hate for this to overshadow like some of the really cool stuff about the Blue Jays, like for all the talk about Vlad and Vlad's been fantastic. Marcus Simeon, I think is maybe having my favorite season on that team, you know, 44 homers, really good defense uh, in the middle infield, 15 steals. Like he is going to have a very fun free agency. And I hate to bid farewell to the Blue Jays. Cause I think they're the most fun team uh, in baseball. Really? I'm not, optimistic about them but you know they have to face the buzzsaw that is the Baltimore <laughs> Orioles so but they, and they won't get, and they won't get to pitch their ace Robbie Ray will not you know will not be available to pitch because they're facing the Orioles and they're, they're facing the Orioles at home I still think they're 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 very much in the mix but you know they don't they no longer control their own fate and that's it's crazy that we're three days left in the season and the Mariners control their own destiny and the Blue Jays do not this is wild Oh, the Mariners. Let's talk about those Seattle Mariners. They are 89 and 70. They have a 30% chance to make the playoffs and they just keep sticking around. And everybody, the very first thing you have to talk about when you talk about the Mariners is that they've been outscored. They have been outscored by 48 runs. The uh, That would be, if it holds around there and they make the playoffs, that would be a, a new record. The 2005 Padres who were outscored by 42 runs, currently hold the record, and that's not really the right word for it, but I guess it's the record for most runs outscored by a playoff team. And I think I was looking into this a little bit this morning, and I think when you look at that run differential, the the first thing people think is, well, the team isn't actually that good, and it's all good luck. And certainly there's a little bit of good luck, like you don't win this many games while being outscored if things aren't going your way. But I was looking into this. I think part of the reason for that run differential is they never lose by in a tight game. When they lose, they get destroyed. And that sort of runs it up. So in one run games, they're 33 and 18. 
which is fantastic. In I mean, that's 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 uns- let's be clear, that's unsustainable yes. and like way it's way better than any other team in baseball. And like, I, I want to speak a little bit more in a minute about like what's impressed me about the Mariners. To be clear, I'm not trying to just like pour cold water, but like 33 and 18 in one run games. That's yeah, it's 2012 that, Orioles kind yeah. of stuff. And but listen, when they play a five run or more game, they are 11 and 28. They have allowed nine runs 18 times. And they've lost all those games. They've only scored nine runs or more 11 times. And their last four losses have come by margins of 13, 7, 5, and 4. Now, that's still 0 and 4. It doesn't matter if you lose them by one run or dozens of runs. But I I do think that's jacking up the run differential a little bit, which is like they either play well and play tight or they just get crushed and there's no middle ground there. Yeah. And and for those for those wondering, I I looked this up, um, the only team in baseball history with a negative run differential to win the World Series is the 1987 Twins. So you can impress your friends with that piece of trivia. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> the two things I'll say about the, the Mariners. What, you know, the one thing that's maybe kind of skeptical about maybe not their 2021 season, but their future is that like a lot of what they're doing this year to me is like on the backs of guys who are older or kind of flukish. And so it's like, yeah, this is fun, but like, is this really building towards something? The counterpoint I'll make to that. Jared Kelnick has looked really good in September. He's hitting for power. The batting average is still very low, but like when he's hitting it, he's driving the ball. He's got a 135 weighted runs runs created plus in September uh, where 100 is league average. He's hitting for power. He's drawing walks. He's looked good in center field. So like at least you're seeing like, okay, one of our young players is really kind of helping driving this run. But then of course, you know, I think I look at like, why were we so, why were we quote unquote wrong about the Mariners? What did we miss? Although I will say back in January, our friend Anthony Castrovance predicted them to win the AL West. So when Scott Service, I saw his post game the other day, was like, no one believed in us. I want to say, not true, Scott Service. Anthony Castrovance picked you to win the AL West back in January. So I looked at their preseason projections the other day. I looked at the Zips projections on Fangraphs. Zips projected. Uh, Kyle Seager hit 20 home runs and Mitch Hanniger hit 18 home runs. Mitch Hanniger has 38 home runs on his own. He has as many home runs as on his own as Zips projected them, he and Seager, to have combined. And Seager himself has 35 home runs. The two of them have combined for more than 70 home runs. No one could have possibly seen that coming, which I think is cool. I think it's awesome. It's I kind of like being wrong because if we were never wrong, well, then this would be boring. That's what's fun about this, right? That things can be unpredictable. Kyle Seager is going the full Tony Bautista this year. He has 35 home runs and 100 RBIs. And in a previous time, that might get him MVP votes. He also has a 286 on base and a 101 OPS plus. So basically, he's a league average hitter despite 35 home runs. And I think I looked this up yesterday. He's got like 28 or so percent of his hits are (laughs) home runs, Um, which is funny. I, I also think... You know, I I imagine a lot of Seattle fans are noticing that no one's believed in them and no one's paid attention to them and are thinking, oh, East Coast bias. And there's, I guess, a little bit of truth to that because they play very late. And when I'm watching West Coast baseball, it's usually the Padres or the Dodgers or or the Giants or Shohei Otani. And because of that, because when I'm watching Mariners games, I'm usually not staying up until the eighth and ninth inning. I think it's easy to overlook how good their bullpen has been. And they've just like pieced together guys out of nowhere. Paul Sewell got dumped by the Mets last year, and I can't even argue with it because he just wasn't very good. And he's been an absolute beast like Drew Steckenrider and Casey Sadler. You know, they I didn't really realize they had Sean Doolittle in their bullpen. 
like they've been really interesting. And my my last comment on the uh, the Mariners is targeted only to Matt Myers and nobody else. And I'm just noticing this as I'm looking at their baseball reference page. Did you realize that Mets legend Eric Campbell got into four games for the Mariners this year? I don't think I realized. <laughs> I what? thought you'd enjoy it. He's still playing. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea. And I clicked it just to make sure it was like the same Eric Campbell. There was, there was actually a Braves prospect by Eric. It was like a good prospect like 15 years ago. So this is actually, this is uh, Eric Campbell. Wow. This, this is a... Uh, this is incredible. The other thing, I mean, the the other thing that's worked out well for the Mariners before we move on, they're hosting the Angels this week. Their the their ballpark's going to be rocking, and Otani's not going to pitch. They're going to miss Otani, so everything's coming up. Mariners, they're very well positioned to uh, to at least get into a playoff into a, a game one at least get into a game one sixty three. I think. Oh, I I think that's almost assured at this point. It's going to be an absolute mess. Is there, I guess I should have looked this up more closely. I'm trying to think, is there a possibility at all that they could actually host the wild card game if everything goes right? I guess there probably is, but there's no margin for error. I think they would have to, they would have to go. Let's see. Let's just do the math quickly. They, if they go three and oh, and the Yankees get swept. And the Yankees get swept. And Boston. And lo- Boston loses yeah. a game. They right. would go. They would. They would host it. I don't <laughs> oh, know God. who. I don't know who has the tiebreaker. That's the thing. I'm not going to have time to look this up. Who has the tiebreaker between the Yankees and the because if the Yankees and Mariners finish with the same record, they would just go by head to head to decide who hosts who hosts the game. Anyway, let's speaking of the Yankees. Let's move on to them. Let's talk about the Yankees. Every time you talk about the Yankees, the first thing you think about are massive slugging baseball men because Judge has been incredible and Stanton has been on fire. And obviously those are the big names, but you know what stands out to me about the Yankees right now? Their brand new bullpen is totally fascinating to me because if you think about what they went into the, the start of the year with, like, yeah, Chapman and Green for sure. But then they'd had like Zach Britton, who ended up getting hurt, and Justin Wilson and Darren O'Day. And like they had all these veteran dudes. And as the year went on, it was pretty up and down. And then Chapman completely fell apart in the middle of the season. And now they've sort of rebuilt it on the fly. And it's really like super interesting and fascinating to me. Like Chapman looks a little bit better. Uh, Green, you know, has been pretty good for a bunch of years. But they just have collected some random dudes like Michael King. Uh, who was like a starter for them in June and looked awful. He missed three months with a finger injury. He has looked dominant in September, two earned runs and 14 September innings. Luis Severino, who was once like a top starter, missed two years with Tommy John, has eight strikeouts and one walk in four games. Like he's a bullpen weapon now. I hope everybody knows Clay Holmes, who has 32 strikeouts and three walks since being acquired from Pittsburgh. And a couple of these guys are trades. Like Jolie Rodriguez came over in the Joey Gallo trade. 281 ERA. They traded Mike Talkman to San Francisco earlier in the year for Wandy Peralta, a 312 ERA. Jonathan Lewisaga, who was like a swingman who couldn't really stick for the last couple of years, they finally made him a full time reliever. He dumped his four seam fastball in favor of this, you know, sinking two seamer with nasty bite. It's got a 222 ERA this year. Like they, and they still have Green and, you know, Lucas Lukey and, and Chapman. Uh, but I think nobody trusts the Yankee bullpen, and I just look at it as being super interesting because it's it's different. Like there are different people down there, and if the Yankees progress, I think that is actually what's going to stand out to me. The Yankees have been. I mean, for anyone who's been listening to this podcast for years, the Yankees have been doing this for years. They've actually been become one of the best teams at turning anonymous guys into uh, dominant relievers. You know, either for 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 um, 
for short periods or extended periods. I mean, a few years ago, it was Chad Green who was one of these guys who was like, who's ever heard of Chad Green in like 2017, 2018? He was a dominant force in the bullpen. There's the other guy whose name I'm forgetting who had, who's who's hurt. Um, who, what's his uh, what's the other uh, right-hander they what the right-hander they had who's hurt who was dominant for a couple of years same thing he was a no-name and clearly a no-name because i can't even remember his name <laughs> what well, you got to give me something to go on here was did he um, pitch this year i don't think he did um this is good this is good podcasting right here content I, feel like we talked, I feel like we talked about him all the time on this podcast uh tommy kinley yes that okay guy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. They, they 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 get these guys out of nowhere, and they this is something the Yankees have done very well. In some ways, this is like why the Yankees may be stealth more dangerous than people are giving them credit for. Is these guys you mentioned who no one has heard of, but who have actually been been dominant and look like could form the basis of a really strong bullpen in October, regardless of concerns about Aroldis Chapman being a little shakier this season. Yeah, um, I have some questions about their defense, and part of it is can anybody catch a pop up? Like I. <laughs> I, listen, Joey Gallo is a fantastic outfielder. He has made some really uh, egregious mistakes over the last couple of days. LeMahieu did one too. And I, I was interested, you know, they changed up their whole infield a couple of weeks ago. They moved Urshela from third to short and Torres from short to second, DJ from second to third. And I thought that all made sense and I was in favor of them doing it. But mostly it sort of seemed like shuffling the deck chairs in the sense that, you know, I don't, they're still the same guys, right? And I looked this up. It's a little over simplistic, but still, do you just look at percentage of ground balls turned in outs through September 12th, which is when they made that change, 74%. It's only 70% since then. And I get it. You know, we're not a couple weeks of baseball, bad hops, uh, different quality of contact. I totally get it. I'm not sure that's made an enormous difference, though. Like, those are still the same dudes. And uh, I guess we'll get to more defense in a second when we get to the Red Sox. But I have concerns about the Yankee defense. Yeah, I mean the one thing it's this is one of those things that's hard to put a finger on. Um, you, you, I mean, Torres has been hitting better since moving to second. You know, you you do wonder if maybe like some of the pressure of playing shortstop has has been good for him. Um, the second thing, I, mean, I think his you know his best season as a as a hitter was when he was playing second base, right when they still had Didi Gregorius. Um, second thing I'll mention is, did you see that play that Urshel made the other day when he threw yes. from, from his yes. from, from his backside? <laughs> it was one of those plays where I feel like the broadcast didn't do enough to to sort of talk about how amazing it was. It was one of the best plays I think I've ever seen. Yeah. So Glaber Torres does not make that play. Well, no, absolutely not. In 2019, he basically split his time at second and short uh, evenly. And I think I think there's a little too much narrative about moving back to second because he was starting to hit a little better even before the move. That's fair. Although, uh, I agree with you. There's something there. Um, I don't know if, if there is enough to be said about how great Giancarlo Stanton has been. And I, I think it, it almost won't matter. Like the next time he goes over five with five whiffs, they'll still boo him into the sun because that's just how Yankee baseball works. But he, he's been great. And if I had to pick one number that would stand out to me about his season, that number would be 568. And that is plate appearances. Because part of it, it's, it's always been, he's just been fragile over the last couple of years. He can't stay on the field and he's playing the outfield sometimes. And he's been on the field. Like the three guys who have taken the most plate appearances are LeMahieu, Judge and Stanton. And that's that is huge because everybody else in this offense is super inconsistent. Let's go on to the Red Sox, who 89 and 70 tied with the Mariners. They have only a 60% chance uh, of making the uh the postseason here. They lost two out of three to Baltimore. That's it. The end. Move on. What's the next team you want to talk about? How do you do that? They and they looked bad. I mean, that is embarrassing. 
Yeah, no, it was it was because also I mean they were I mean the pitchers they were facing were you know Alexander Wells guys with like you know eight ERAs coming into the game and they could not get anything they hit into a ton of double plays. Uh, again, you like you hate to you you hate to play armchair psychologist, but from a distance, it certainly felt like they were pressing. Like, uh, how are we not scoring runs against these guys? And they didn't really score runs against these guys. Um, I think you mentioned to me you pointed out that they also opened their season with a sweep against the Orioles. The, the Red Sox season began with, oh my swept. god, we got swept by the Orioles. We're terrible. <laughs> and then, then they they made people forget about that. And then now here they are losing two of three to the Orioles in the final week of the season, which could cost them a playoff berth. I actually think they're still in pretty good shape, all things considered, at least to get to game 163, because they're going to face the Nationals, who are not very good. But one thing that's worth noting is that they're playing in Washington, so there's no DH. So that means that in order to get both J.D. Martinez and Kyle Schwarber in the lineup, they both have to play the field. Kyle Schwar- That would mean Kyle Schwarber plays first base. J.D. Martinez plays left field. Kyle Schwarber has barely played first base, like five games this year. And before this year, I don't think he played since 2017. You're really weakening your defense to make that happen. So, you know, I, I, Alex Cora kind of didn't give any specifics of what he planned to do um, about his plan for that. You know, they, they, they it, it actually lines up well to do some sort of platoon because, you know, in the outfield, you have Verdugo, who's a left-hand hitter, and Martinez, who's a right-hand hitter. Um, for first base, you'd have... Dahlbeck, who's a right-handed hitter. Granted, he's not a very good defender either. So, you know, maybe you just want to put Schwarber in there. Um, Schwarber's obviously a left-handed hitter. So it seems like, you know, that I think um, Josh Rogers is set to pitch tonight for the for the Nationals. He's a lefty, so maybe you go with the right-handed hitters. Tomorrow it's supposed to be Josiah Gray. He's a righty. Maybe you flip it. I don't know. What would you do? It's actually, I think it's a really interesting and, and tough decision. That is a great point. I hadn't thought about the fact that they're playing in a National League park. And uh, quickly before I answer this, the other thing that killed them about the Orioles series is they started Chris Sale and Nathan Navaldi and Nick Pavetta and got only one win out of it. Um, it's interesting because, you know, at this point in the season, there is a little bit to playing the hot hand, and Dahlbeck has actually not been very good lately. Like, he'd been red hot for a while, but over the last two weeks, yeah, he's got six hits and a, a 281 on base. I mean, you can say the same thing for Xander Bogarts, too, but you're not going to bench him. Yeah, I guess you do kind of do a, a platoon a little bit, and then hopefully you get the lead and then rush in your better defensive guys like I I don't think it's it's not a good situation to be in and yes I agree with you Washington is not very good but Juan Soto still wants to try to win the MVP <laughs> right Juan Soto could come out in three games and take 12 plate appearances and you know go five for ten with three home runs like that is easily I think I could see happening because he's that good and I think he wants to, to finish strong you know I he has said like it's important to him and why wouldn't it be you know like if you go out there and you say, well, my team isn't going anywhere, but I helped bounce this team out of the playoffs. Maybe that'll help me the MVP. This is not going to be, as we just saw in Baltimore, a cakewalk. I think they're going to go and lose two out of three to Washington. And it's going to look a lot like 10 years ago, to be honest. Wow. The one, the, one, the one thing I'll mention tonight before we move on, for tonight's game, Eduardo Rodriguez is pitching. Eduardo Rodriguez has never gotten a hit in his career as a hitter. He is a comically bad hitting pitcher. So that will be a very interesting because they will clearly have some bats on the bench. And if, you know, very early in the game, they might have an opportunity um, to 
you know, score some runs if, if Rodriguez comes up with runners on base. So it'll be very inter- interesting to see how aggressive is core is in pinch hitting for Rodriguez. Oh, but you know, that that changes it for me a little bit because there are a few pitchers in baseball this year who have been injured by lousy defense behind them more than Eduardo Rodriguez has. I, can you go out and put like the C team defense behind him? Like that's a recipe for disaster, I think. Well, well, then maybe that's what you do. You put the the good defense out there, knowing you have a good bat off the your good bats off the bench hmm. to get as, as soon as he comes up early on. Trick question. question. Trick question. Is there a good defense? Uh, <laughs> think about that. All right, let's move on to um, the one series that we actually know exactly what it's going to be: White Sox and Astros, which I think is going to be super fun. Well, let's talk about the White Sox for a second. They've obviously been leading the American League Central for months. It's pretty funny to me. They have the exact same record as the Yankees do, and we just perceive them so differently because of the different circumstances they're in. The White Sox are 91 and 68. They are very clearly going to play Houston. We talked about the White Sox a little bit um, a week or two ago where we had some concerns uh, possibly about them in their second half performance. But one guy in the second half who has been absolutely mashing is Luis Robert, who got hurt, you know, in spring training, didn't come back till July 26th. Since then, 385 on base, 574 slugging. And he just looks exactly like the guy, you know, you kind of thought he'd be if you looked at the early scouting reports. And I know, Matt, you dug up a pretty interesting old one on him. Yeah, Luis Robert has very much been on my radar for a long time because of a story that MLB.com's uh, Jesse Sanchez wrote in February of 2017. This was a story he wrote... Uh, about Robert when he was unsigned and still just like a, a a bit of an unknown prospect, right? He was just starting to get some hype. And this is what the story wrote. Mind you, this was uh, almost five years ago. How good is Robert? One American League international scouting director described Robert as the best player on the planet, and that's no exaggeration, right? This was in 2017. Before anyone knew who this guy was, and so this story, this quote was so like outlandish that when we were editing the story, we were like. Is it, do you think this is really what he meant? Do you think he meant to say prospect and not player? And I'm not exactly sure what he meant at the time, but here we are. It is uh, October 2021. And if while Robert isn't the best player in baseball, he seems to be on the verge of being in that conversation. He looks like the star that people thought he was going to be when he broke into the league. And he's a big reason why I'm higher on the White Sox than maybe some others are, um, just because I think that they have you know, the, the legitimate star power with Robert in the middle of their lineup, Yasmani Grandel, who also has missed a lot of time this year, has been fantastic. He and uh, uh, Robert have identical 161 weighted runs created plus. Then you've got a, a deep lineup with Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson and Yohan Moncada. You know, the big concern with them, I think, is the is the starting pitching, right? Because we don't really know what we're going to get from Carlos Rodon. But they also, I mean, you, you wrote about this. You wrote about like the tiers of relief pitchers and how those will uh, you know, impact October and how important relief pitching is in October. And when you go into a series knowing you've got Liam Hendricks and Craig Kimbrell and they can pitch in almost any game, I think that combination of high-end offensive talent, front-end starting pitching, and elite relievers, like it's a it's a good recipe. I mean, Hendricks is the best reliever in baseball. You can make a case for Josh Hader, I guess, but Hendricks has just been, he's lived up to everything they hoped for and more. Kimbrell's been a little iffy. I'm not sure I actually trust him. And I, I think the Rodon situation's interesting because on September 20th, he left to start after three innings with shoulder discomfort, and then he came back on September 29th, and if you just look at the the box score, it's like, okay, great. You know, five shutout innings, he allowed one hit against a, a decent Reds offense, and that's great, 
But it also, if you watched it, it didn't look the same. I mean, his velocity was down considerably from what it was. And I don't know that that means he was just, you know, trying not to go all out or if he couldn't go all out, but it's a sizable question mark for me. I also, I didn't realize this until I looked into it a little more closely this morning. Um, they've had Eloy Jimenez playing left field a lot more than I thought they would. Like when he came back from his own injury, he was mostly just playing DH and because they like Gavin Sheets, I guess, at DH now, and he's been hitting very well, uh, 517 slugging. They have Jimenez in left field, and it's been okay to his credit. Like, he has been a really poor defensive outfielder in the past, and that's how he always gets hurt. Like, he's always hurting himself playing left field, (laughs) and that just seems like the kind of thing that that could pop up in a big spot in a big game that, you know, Jimenez out there. And I guess you could always say, well, you know, that's what Billy Hamilton's for. You know, you could put him in because he's a very good outfielder. That's the thing that worries me. Uh, but I just find this series against Houston, who we'll move on to talk to now, really interesting because it's the one that you've kind of expected for a while. And then obviously you've got the Dusty Baker versus Tony Larusa, you know, uh, 1,200 years of managerial experience, which is going to be kind of an interesting story of its own. Dusty Baker is the only manager now to lead five different teams to the playoffs. And as I think we've been talking about since like, December. The Astros are overlooked a lot. You know, they're not a popular franchise. We get that. They have the lowest strikeout rate in baseball again as hitters, but they have the fourth best slugging percentage and they have the second best fielding. If you look at Statcast's outs above average, like it's a really good team. And I don't think anybody has noticed how good Kyle Tucker has been. I think David Adler wrote about this the other day um, for the site. Kyle Tucker has been really, really good. He gets overlooked because it's like, okay, Altuve and Correa and Bregman and Brantley and Gurriel and all these other guys. Uh, Kyle Tucker has been phenomenal. He has a 904 OPS with 28 homers, good defense. And he looks like he's, uh, I don't want to say a, a star about to break out because he's already having the breakout, right? But he looks like not you know, a future guy who's going to be one of the main parts of this lineup. He looks like a dude like right now, which is important because Michael Brantley has been out with right knee soreness and he missed 16 games and he came back to DH. And I don't know if he's going to play the field in the postseason. And if he can't, that means Jordan Alvarez is your left fielder and take everything I just said about Eloy Jimenez (laughs) and multiply it by 70 (laughs) because Alvarez is not a really good outfielder. One thing I'll say about Kyle Tunker is look back to the 2000. 15 draft, right? That year, the Astros ended up with the second pick because they did not sign Brady Aiken, the number one overall pick from the year before. And they had the fifth pick, which was their 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 draft order because of their record in 2014. Second pick, they get Alex Bregman. Fifth pick, they get Kyle Tucker. I mean, how about that for not like turning turn your, <laughs> turn your franchise around? I think the Astros have the best lineup in, in, in the postseason. I don't think that's necessarily a controversial take, but I, I actually – well, I, I – snicker when people say like oh t- you know you can't rely too much on home runs in the postseason i don't buy that you need to hit home runs but the reason i think that the the astros have the best lineup in the postseason is because it is the most um well-rounded like they don't have a lot of high strikeout guys they have a lot of guys who will who will not just put the ball in play but will also hit for power and i think that makes them more difficult to pitch to than like the yankees lineup that's like my, my concern with the yankees is not that they hit too much too many home runs it's the fact that like some of those guys can go into deep slumps where they um, strike out a lot, especially when it comes to, hey, you're facing elite relievers a lot more often than you do in the regular season. So that's where I see the difference. The Astros lineup, I mean, it's it's crazy. Has Bregman, Altuve, Tucker, Correa, Brantley, Gurriel, who might have, you know lead the league in batting average. Like this is a really – didn't even mention Jordan Alvarez. Like it's crazy. The pitching is obviously going to be the question. 
you know, Zach Greinke might be in the bullpen, which may not be that big of a deal for them because he actually had been pretty he'd been pretty bad for a couple of months now. So um, it, how they line up their pitching is definitely going to be a, you know a very interesting question. But the lineup, no question, is dominant. Yeah, as we always say, you know, it's not just about making contact. Like I think people say, don't strike out, make contact. You're good. Well, there's no honor in hitting a double play ground ball to second base. You know, it's making good contact and lots of it. And that is what the Astros do. That's like really what makes them special. And then I'm glad you brought up the rotation because that is kind of fascinating. They don't have the guy you'd think of like Max Scherzer. You know, as you said, Granke has not had a very good year. I am so fascinated by the idea, though, of Zach Granke being your bullpen ace. Maybe not ace because Ryan Presley is super duper good. I don't mean like as a closer, but you need a guy to come in in the sixth inning and throw two good innings like Zach Greinke could do that. That would be super fun. As far as the rotation goes, Brian McTaggart, who is our Astros.com beat writer, he projected it would be Lance McCullers, from Valdez, Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy. So no Greinke, no Jake Odorizzi. I don't disagree with him really on any of that, but I, I feel like this is going to be the time, aside from McCullers, who's sort of a known quantity, where people are going to say, who are these guys? I don't know who Valdez and Garcia and Urquidy are. And they're going to be surprised because those guys are all really good. Like Gar- Garcia has a shot to win the American Eden League Rookie of the Year. I don't think he'll win it, right? But I think he might finish second or third. And Fran Valdez was one of my like breakout ace picks before the year. And then he got hurt and he came back and he's at a 298 ERA. And, you know, Urquidy actually does have some playoff experience because he was part of the World Series run you know, against the Nationals two years ago. I, I think people are going to underrate this team because they don't know who these pitchers are. And the bullpen is not strong past Ryan Presley, who who is very good. And, you know, just because of the whole Astros situation. But who doesn't want to see Dusty Baker win a ring? Would you not love to see that? I would love to see that because I don't know if there's anybody in baseball I can think of where uh, our, when I say like our, I mean like the stat nerd world, the opinion has changed as much where 10 years ago it was like, ah, oh, Dusty Baker is killing his pitchers. And now it's like, yeah, Dusty Baker. We love Dusty. Come on, Dusty. Do it, Dusty. <laughs> Um, I, I mean, I, I talked about this, you know, we talked about this last week, we talked about the Padre situation of like how the, the, con- the conversation has turned about managers and how some of these like veteran managers, you know, I, like they've had success coming in and working with quote unquote new front offices and, you know, like people didn't know what to expect with Dusty coming in the Astros. It's been a success. La Russa with the White Sox, people were saying it's going to be a disaster. I was very skeptical, you know, however it's played out, it certainly hasn't been a disaster, right? It's played out, you know. They're 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 winning their division easily. So like, well, I'm not saying I'm giving Luso all the credit. You certainly can't penalize him because he he's done what he was brought here to do. Dusty winning the World Series would be awesome. Um, the other thing, I mean, with it, I don't think they're gonna the because they don't have any of these like name starting pitchers. Some ways that could end up being a a virtue for them because there's gonna be no pressure to be like, oh, you know, we have this ace. Maybe we should try and push him. Like, no, they're gonna turn the you know. All these guys are going to go through the lineup twice and either taken out, taken out before they go through a third time or taken out the first sign of trouble the third time through the order. So I think they're very, they're, they're very well positioned. That series is going to be – I'm very excited to watch this series. The 2005 World Series rematch. Oh, God. Oh God. <laughs> Our final American League team – the 98 win Tampa Bay Rays. And, you know, Matt, you mentioned earlier they when they play the Yankees this weekend, they obviously don't love each other and they're not going to roll over and let the Yankees win. And I think maybe there's some, uh, you know, you have 98 wins and it is a cool thing to say you're a 100 win team. 
you know, for them to be able to say we went and we beat the Yankees two out of three and we win a hundred. I, I think that there is value in that, at least from, from the players, you know, to be able to say that because boy, we talked a lot about the Rays last winter when they traded away Blake Snell and didn't retain Charlie Morton. And, you know, now look at them. I still think you could look at this team and say, you know, it would make them better having Charlie Morton, but hey, <laughs> they're a hundred win team. Uh, losing Tyler Glass now is obviously, uh, let's say an issue. I think as much as the Rays have done over the last couple of years to to challenge your perception of what a pitching staff is or could be, I think this iteration of them, it, it's going to do it even more. Because I don't know, it didn't like a month ago, I, I challenged you with a question to say, who would start the first game of, <laughs> of a Rays division series? Like They don't really have a starting pitcher. Uh, Ryan Yarbrough, I guess, is the closest they have. And he hasn't really been that good this year. He's had his moments. I was at the game early in the year uh, at Yankee Stadium. I took my son and he, he threw a complete game and he looked great. Um, but he's got a 5'11 ERA. And past him, nobody has thrown more than 120 innings. So it's like a couple innings out of Shane McClanahan, a couple innings out of, I don't know, Patino, Michael Waka, Josh Fleming. Uh, Shane Baz looked great. He looks phenomenal. He's also got 10 and two-thirds major league innings. <laughs> you know, like, what do you do with that? They're going to have, you know, just like endless amounts of three-inning dudes. And I don't think there's a, maybe outside of Craig Council, I don't think there's a manager I trust more to do that than Kevin Cash. But I think, I think if people think, that because of what happened with Snell in game six last year, that cash is going to be like more traditional this year. They are so wrong, partially because they don't have that guy. There is not a starting pitcher on this team who's going to go eight innings. I, I think they're going to be blown away by how much in and out there's going to be on the mound for the Rays. I don't think the Rays are going to have a pitcher. Here's my bold, bold prediction of the postseason. I don't think they will have a pitcher this October pitch into the sixth inning. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you might not be wrong. <laughs> um, I mean, I think that's true. I also think um, I'm really pleased that Wander Franco is back and healthy because he's got a chance to be like the real breakout star of October. I mean, in certain circles, he has already broken out, right? He has been the top prospect for some time. He came up and he's been fantastic. Did I see his streak? His on-base streak just ended yesterday. Maybe I got that wrong, but he had, you know, like a 40-something game streak of getting on base, which was pretty close to Frank Robinson's record for a player this young. And he is not like a future star. He is already a star. He is the next, I'm in the conversation with Soto and Vladdy and Tatis and Acuna, a guy for me. He is already there. And I think he's got the, he's got the possibility to really like blow up on a national stage in a way that he, he probably isn't currently in terms of name value. No question. We will take a quick break. We will come back and we will go through the much simpler National League playoff picture. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We are looking ahead to the final weekend of the regular season and going through each of the teams who still have a possibility of being in the playoffs. We just went through the American League, which is kind of a mess. The National League is much easier. We know who the five teams are going to be. We don't exactly know, you know who's going to be playing each other when, but we know that the Brewers will play the Braves. 
And we know that the Cardinals will play somewhere in California for the wildcard game to be determined whether that's the Giants or the Dodgers. But since we know the five teams, let's go through each one of them. Uh, and we're going to start with the Braves. One of my favorite things of the year is that they have had Jorge Soler hitting leadoff. Jorge Soler is large. He is powerful. He's not terribly fast. His best position is DH. For like 150 years of baseball, he is the last man who would be hitting leadoff because who hits leadoff? Small guys with speed, usually like a middle infielder or a center fielder. Jorge Soler has been hitting leadoff and they have won nine out of 10 games since he's done it. And I wrote about this recently and it's not so much that it's like, okay, we're like, we're trying to be weird and challenge the norms. It's that when you look at their team, it, it makes sense. Like Ozzy Albies didn't work out at the top and he's not that much different of a profile. Honestly, he's a much smaller man, right? But he's got power and he's not a great on-base guy necessarily. You're not going to put Freeman and Riley there. It would be great if Dansby Swanson could be that guy, but he's just not a good enough hitter. It's not going to be Adam Duvall who has hit a billion home runs and has like a 280 on base. Why not Jorge Soler? Credit to Brian Snicker for that. Like that is not the profile I would have expected from this team. Yeah, I, I love it. I love the, the the creative thinking there. Saw a great stat from uh, from Jason Stark last night. Although he actually cre- he credited uh, stats stats Inc for it, so it's Stark uh, stats Inc via Stark. Jorge Soler has twelve home runs since the Braves trade for him. Adam Duvall has thirteen home runs since the Braves trade for him. They're the first team ever to trade for two outfielders in July, who then hit twelve plus home runs for their new team. Wow. Um, it's the Braves outfield was terrible. They got not only did they upgrade, they upgraded to two guys who then went and went on to be like basically the best versions of themselves as soon as they were acquired, and that has just catapulted the Braves. They basically took a, a replacement, two replacement level positions, and put like above average players there, and that has catapulted them to the division title. They went you know with relative ease, frankly. Yeah, it's really funny if you look at the the way the outfield was. So they had obviously to start the season for the first ten days or so of the season. It was Ozuna in left, and then he got hurt and suspended. Christian Pache in center, who absolutely flopped on offense, which I think was sort of uh, a big concern going into the season. Great glove. Could he hit? The answer was no. And Ronald Acuna. And Acuna, obviously, was phenomenal, was an MVP contender. So then Azuna's out, and Pache got sent down. And then Acuna injured his knee on just July 11th. And so the next two games, here are the outfields that they had. Uh, the final game of the first half and the first game of the second half, right? So on July 11th, it it was former Milwaukee shortstop Orlando Arcia in left, Guillermo Heredia in center, and Ahir Adrianza in right. The first game of the second half, it was the same two in left and center, Abraham Almonte in right field. And a whole bunch of credit to the Braves front office for saying, nope, we're not going to do that. Uh, they got Jock Peterson the next day, ended up trading for three more outfielders, uh, Duvall, Soler, and Eddie Rosario. And I mean, that is that is such a cool thing to do to say, um, you know, we're not just going to give up because Acuna is out, as I think a lot of people thought they were kind of cooked at that point. So that's cool. And then the other thing that stands out to me is um, the starting rotation has been, it wasn't great to start, I don't think, because, you know, Max Freed looked like kind of a regression guy to me at the beginning of the year. And Soroka never came back. Well, Freed's been really good lately. Morton's looked great lately. Ian Anderson's been great. Huascar Noah's back. They have a, I think, a quietly really good starting rotation, which is interesting because when I look at the bullpen, my eyes and the stats are telling me different things. My gut says, I don't trust this bullpen at all. 
Nobody here makes me comfortable. Will Smith has been good for a long time. I can't remember the last time I saw him throw a clean inning, right? <laughs> I, I like Luke I, Jackson. He's got a 201 ERA, uh, but you know he has trouble throwing strikes sometimes. And yet, in September, they have the third best bullpen ERA, and I don't know what to make of that. One of my favorite running subplots of September has been Braves Twitter versus Will Smith, because every time Will Smith comes into the game, Braves Twitter is like apoplectic. It's like, no, 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 no. Like, I can't look. I can't look. Oh, we won. Okay. Cool. That's how it feels like. It's like every every time he comes in, it is an adventure. I totally get what you're saying. You know, compared to some of the other teams, compared to the team they're about to play, you know, although there's a whole other story with the team they're about to play, the bullpen situation feels very perilous. There are, there are two other quick stats from the Braves bullpen I, I feel like compelled to point out. So Sean Newcomb, who's been kicking around the Braves for years, I think he was actually in the Andrelton Simmons trade a bunch of years ago. He's been a starter, he's been a bullpen, he's had his moments, and he's not. But when he's on, he's filthy, right? Like his stuff is so good. And yet if you look at his numbers this year, 12 strikeouts per nine, amazing. Eight walks per nine. What do you do with that? How do you trust that guy? And on the exact opposite end of the spectrum, one of the other trades they made was they went to Pittsburgh and they traded for Richard Rodriguez, who throws like 90% fastballs and you know misses some bats. And he was one of the guys where even before the trade, I looked at some charts and I was like, hey, this guy's spin rate is down by like a whole bunch. Hmm, wonder what's that about? Since he's gone to the Braves, he has nine strikeouts in 25 innings. I don't know how you can use either of those guys in a big spot. And so I feel for you, Braves, Braves Twitter. Uh, They will be playing Milwaukee. And I think this is going to be a pretty fun series because I want to see the Milwaukee starters. Like I want to see Burns and I want to see Woodruff and I want to see Freddie Peralta. And I want to see those guys challenging Freddie Freeman and Austin Riley and the, you know, the other guys in the Braves, because I think that's going to be super fun. You may have heard the Brewers suffered a large loss recently where Devin Williams, he of the infamous airbender changeup, um, punched a wall after the celebration the other night, broke his hand, and I guess he's not officially out for the year, but at least for this series, he's definitely not pitching in this series. And that's a pretty big blow for a team that does not have a good offense and has kind of gotten by on outstanding starting pitching and some really good relief pitching. And I think for a lot of a lot of people, they were maybe like a sneaky choice to get through the National League. And this is, it doesn't knock them out for me, obviously, but man, does that hurt. Yeah, I mean, because so much of it is, hey, we can go into every game. Going into the postseason, it was like, Hayter and Williams can pitch in, any, in every close game. So we're going to go into every game with, you know, a high-level starting pitcher and two of like the 10 best relievers in baseball. Like, that's a really strong formula. After Williams, it falls off pretty quick. The, the Brewers are actually only 13th in reliever war in baseball, according to Fangraphs. And Williams is the only reliever other than Josh Hader with a Fangraphs war above one. So like, there's a, definitely a big drop-off there. Now, granted, they could take some of their starting pitchers and move them to the bullpen for uh, for October, which, which helps mitigate it a little bit. But I am uh, now way more skeptical of this team than I was a few days ago. I think it's a really big loss, just when you think of like the chain of relievers and how everyone has to kind of move up a, a, a spot in terms of leverage in that chain and that it it really gets a lot weaker for the for the Brewers now after Hater. I've seen some people saying, well, you know, it's okay. Hunter Strickland has a 183 ERA. And I'm like, let me tell you, if you're trusting Hunter Strickland in a big playoff spot, I have some history to share with you. I think you're right about the rotation. So obviously in some order, Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, and 
after that, you know, either Hauser or Lauer will start game four and one goes to the pen or both go to the bullpen. You know, Brent Anderson could go there. That could help. I, I don't know if people have noticed. So Josh Hader has been an elite reliever for the last four years, right? Even by his standards, he's on an unbelievable run. Since August 1st, he's pitched 20 games. He's allowed zero runs, <laughs> six hits in 20 games in two months and 24 strikeouts. I think they are going to rely on him heavily. He's going to get like nine outs every single night. The other guy who um, is, is standing out to me is like, you're not surprised to know we've been talking about the Brewers pitching because that's way more interesting than the Brewers offense, which hasn't been that great. Like Jackie Bradley, who's long been one of my favorites, has been a complete disaster. He was a 34 OPS plus. Um, you know, Vogelback, Omar Nervais, Colton Wong, like they have all got their moments. And, you know, you look at Willie Adamas as someone who's really picked up the team since the trade. So that's all true. Luis Urias is someone I get kind of written off because he was acquired in the uh, Trent Grisham trade from San Diego two years ago. And, you know, reportedly has like great bat to ball skills and all this kind of stuff. But I looked at his hard hit rates and like this guy cannot hit the ball hard like and that was true like I don't I don't think that was an incorrect evaluation but something has changed this year over the last three years he had six homers in 422 plate appearances this year he's got 23 homers in 562 plate appearances since August 1st he has an 881 OPS plus he and obviously Al Garcia have been the team's two best hitters over the last two months Urias is a well below average shortstop so they really need Adamas to be healthy so he can play shortstop and you can put Urias as a backup or third baseman or whatever you want to do. Because I don't trust Christian Yelich right now. I don't trust Lorenzo Cain. I don't trust Jackie Bradley. Those are all big names. None of them fill me with confidence. And you got to have the offense coming from somewhere. Who 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 who, who is your pick in a Brewers uh, Brave series? Ooh, Brewers? But I don't feel confident about it just because... I, you know, now I'm second guessing myself. I like the Brewers rotation better than I like the Braves rotation, but the Braves rotation is pretty good. And I like the Braves offense better than the Brewers. So my answer to this is five games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bre- Brewers have home field. So I, I'll take them in five. I would have felt confident taking them with Williams, healthy Williams without a healthy Williams. I think it's basically a coin flip. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, we have three more teams to get through. One of them is the Cardinals. I don't know if you heard, the Cardinals have won lots of games in a row. I don't want to be a super buzzkill about this, but this this number 17, like the 17 game winning streak, it doesn't matter to me so much just because these things never carry over to the playoffs. I don't care that they went 17 of 17. If they won 14 and three, that would still be pretty cool. Like what matters to me is, okay, well, what changed? Like what were they doing to win? And I think if you were to ask Cardinals fans, the big change uh, was that they moved Tyler O'Neill up in the lineup, and that's true. But for me, it was putting Giovanni Gallegos in these higher leverage situations because I know Alex Reyes is a bigger arm, and I know for like half the year he had a 1.2 ERA or whatever, and he made the all-star team. But it was also pretty clear the man could not throw strikes like, at all. And Giovanni Gallegos taking on a, a, you know, a spot of more importance, I think is an underrated part of this because he's been really good. Ever since they traded Luke Voigt for him. I know you had Luke Voigt. You traded him away. Oh, no. But you got Giovanni Gallegos, who's been really good. And I think there's some credit here, too, to the uh, you know the front office and the coaching staff. Because like four months into the season, I was pointing out, yeah, the Cardinals bullpen has the highest walk rate in the history of bullpens. And it was true. Like if you go back to, let's say, 1969, because what were bullpens before that? And they've made some changes. You know, some guys have thrown strikes a little more. They've picked up a different Luis Garcia and TJ McFarland 
off the scrap heap and those guys have been awesome like if you don't believe in cardinals devil magic it's there it is those guys and the defense of course has been phenomenal all year long i still think they're the underdog against either the dodgers or the giants but is it that hard to see adam wainwright in a one-game playoff just shoving against one of those two teams not at all (laughs) certainly not and for for me the the guy to watch on the cardinals especially if they do advance is tyler o'neill Who's been, you know, their best hitter? I guess you no know, Goldschmidt's been great too, so it's hard to. It's a, but O'Neill has kind of taken his game to a next level. That said, the strikeout walk ratio is still extreme, and he's like, you know, for the season, he's his strikeout rate is above thirty, and his walk rate's below ten, and that's maintained even during his hot stretch over the last month. And I just think that's relevant because I'm very curious to see how he responds to, you know, facing only good pitchers um in October because I'm 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 way more skeptical of him you know maintaining that than I am Goldschmidt or Arenado if he can or even come close to it and that that really lengthens their lineup and makes them way more dangerous but he, I still am I'm st- I'll still put him in sort of like the can mash against you know mediocre pitching I'm not sure against good pitching but I guess that's kind of what we'll we'll find out in uh in in the playoffs I was on a uh, St. Louis radio show the other day and they asked me, how come Paul Goldschmidt's not getting any love for a National League MVP? You know, he's been great. He's got the track record. He's helped push this team into the playoffs. And I'm like, you know, everything you just said is true. But that's the exact same argument that Braves fans say about Austin Riley. And that's the exact same argument that Giants fans say about Brandon Crawford. And also, there are players who have had better years than them on worse teams. So it's like, you can make an argument for all these guys, but Goldschmidt is not winning the MVP. He's not going to finish in the top three. He'll finish like sixth and it'll be a really good season. And um, I'm not sure if there's a single game I'm more excited to watch than Wainwright in San Francisco or LA against the, one of these teams because that's going to be fun. All right, let's finish off with the National League West. The Dodgers have 103 wins and they are two games out of first place. It is obscene how good the Giants are playing this year. The Dodgers are probably going to end up with 105 wins and not win the division. And I don't know, what is your perception of this? Because like before the season, we all thought it was going to be Dodgers Padres and the Padres obviously completely collapsed. So the Dodgers are going to end up with what is by any definition, a successful year, 104, five or six wins and not win the division. Is it going to feel like a disappointment to win that many games? But even though they didn't win the division, I th- it kind of has to, right? And it's it's you, you talk about perception, right? That they're going to end up with the most wins ever for a defending champion, and it's kind of getting overlooked <laughs> in the individual area. Like the 1930s Yankees, you know, won like 110 games, but the most ever, the most wins for a defending champion before was 103 wins, and they're at 103 now. They're going to win at least one more game, so it just kind of does feel like a disappointment. But um, I'm they're still my pick to win the World Series, so you know. Do with that what you will. Yeah, I um, the other day I was asked, like, who's your World Series picks? And I thought about it and I said, God, I know I shouldn't do this because it never actually ends up happening this way. But I think it might be the Dodgers and Rays again. <laughs> like, if you think about it, I mean, you can make the case. Um, so the Dodgers have had a, you know, wildly up and down season, I guess, in a lot of ways. And they just they haven't been able to get the offense together because like Bellinger has been terrible. But I think a guy that nobody thinks about enough and he got hurt and now he's back is AJ Pollock. And it was kind of funny when the Dodgers signed him a couple years ago, it seemed like a weird fit. And then he had like a truly atrocious playoffs. I think it was his first year there. Yeah. In 2019, the series against Washington, this is what it was. 14 po- uh, plate appearances, 
11 strikeouts. It was one of the most brutal playoff series I think I've ever seen. And that really soured him in the eyes of a lot of Dodger fans, except he's been really good. Like if you look at him over the last two years for the Dodgers, he has a 137 OPS plus and 36 home runs. And I think you really saw when he was out, when he was hurt, uh, the lineup, because Bellinger hasn't really been reliable, was a lot weaker. But now he's back and I don't know if Gavin Lux is your starting center fielder in October. That's not a sentence I thought I would ever say. But Corey <laughs> Seager is crushing the ball. Both turners look really good. Like I have a, you know, Mookie Betts is still Mookie Betts. I have a little more confidence in this lineup now than I did like three weeks ago. But it, it's, it still feels uncertain to me. Like it's not, it's not quite up to what you would think based on the names that are there. That's, uh, that's right, but that's the thing about the Dodgers. They've got so much depth. It's like they're just someone else ready to – the fact that, you know, the fact that get, the, the fact that Gavin Lux is not only playing center field but might actually be the solution in center field is like kind of crazy, but th- this is what the Dodgers do better than anyone is not only do they like, you know, bring in a roster of good players and develop players, they like make – they figure out ways to constantly make the pieces fit. Yeah, I know, by the way, their starting rotation is Walker, Bueller, Max Scherzer. Clayton Kershaw and Julio Urias. That's not so bad. That's actually pretty good. The the uh, when I was talking about Pollock, I was thinking a little bit about like you know perception and and how fans feel about a guy. And I feel like the player that applies to the most is maybe Kenley Jansen, who's having a really good year. Right, like his velocity had been trending downward for a couple of years. He's got it back. He's got a two twenty six ERA. You know, he's he had a rough first couple of weeks, but in the second half, he's been fantastic. And I don't think Dodger fans trust him at all take everything i said about will smith and the braves bullpen and dump it all on kenley jansen because you could probably find a sizable portion of the dodger fan base who would rather fill bickford (laughs) in in big spots i don't know if i agree with that um but it really just seems like they don't trust him at all i mean it's it's he set such a high standard so long ago that it feels like any drop off from that suddenly makes him feel very and i mean he just I mean, there was a period where he was arguably, you know, the best reliever in baseball history for a stretch, like the most dominant for a stretch. So when you take like even two steps back from that and you're still just, oh, very good elite reliever at this moment, it still feels like you're not as good. You, you As a fan, you lose that comfort level and it's hard to – it's really hard to put a finger on, but it's just one of those realities of being a fan, especially when – I mean – Relievers themselves are fickle, and rooting for relievers is like a is a is a a fickle process, I guess. And finally, the Giants, who I don't know if you've heard, have won a lot of games in surprising fashion. I don't think we've spoken since Brandon Belt got hurt, he fractured his uh, hand or finger, I can't remember which, on a bunt, and you know he'd had a, an incredible season, and he's going to be a huge loss for them. But they've put in Lamont Wade at first base and Wilmer Flores, and then Darren Ruff will be back soon, and they've won each of the three games since Belt got hurt. Now they were against Arizona, who, you know, not very good. So I get that. I don't want to overlook the loss of Brandon Belt because he's been fantastic. But I also think if there's any team that's well-equipped to just have like a super platoon of Wade and Flores, because Flores crushes lefties and Wade crushes righties, it's the Giants. And I know you have a stat here that shows that Wade is just becoming a guy with a penchant for huge (laughs) moments. Yeah, last night was uh, Lamont Wade at a... A walk-off hit last night against the D-backs, uh, and he was, that was his sixth game-tying or go-ahead hit in the ninth inning or later this season. That is the most by any MLB player in the last 40 years. So the most, I guess, in your in your lifetime, Mike, that is the most in your lifetime. Um, Lamont Wade kind of came out of nowhere. The Giants, I mean, it's they've done a lot of what, uh, you know, 
you know, Farhan Zaidi came from the Giants, I mean, came from the Dodgers. And it's the similarities I see are in terms of not just finding, you know, Lamont Wade reminds me of what the J- Dodgers did with guys like Max Muncie and Chris Taylor, right? Taking these kind of mid-career players with some promise, but had never really done anything and finding a new level for them. And then also having your veterans come and and find their, their highest level. You know, Brandon Crawford, according to Steamer preseason, had a projected 297 weighted on base. He's at 380 this year. Posey projected 307, 383 this year. So they're like, they found the best of these players, of these Darren Ruffs and these Lamont Wade, and they're also getting their getting the most out of their veterans. It's a it's an amazing story. I have stopped, you know, doubting this team. You know, I'm, I'm I don't really know how they're doing. It's funny you look at their stats and you compare them to like the Blue Jays, and it's like, how does this team have more runs scored or similar amounts of runs? Maybe there's a few fewer runs scored. Where it's like the Blue Jays have four guys with 100 RBIs. The the uh, Giants have like one guy with 80 plus RBIs, and it's like, how is this possible that they have almost the same number of runs scored? But the just the the depth and the use of platoons, as you mentioned, with like Flores and Wade, I agree they're 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 they they can overcome it. But the reality is, Belt is their best hitter. I've really enjoyed uh, a small portion of the Giants fan base trying to do the the dunking. No one believed in us, like where you projected us in the beginning of the season, and I'm like. Come on, guys. I I was kind of high on your team, but if I actually came out and said this team's going to win 106 games, you'd have me locked up. <laughs> like this wasn't a miss by the projections. This was a how is this happening? Because you have like nine different guys who are at like their 99th percentile, and people are starting to get mad about it. They're like, well, how, how is this possible? How is everybody like? How, how could you do this? Like, how is Brandon? There's reasons for individual guys. I'll admit that I have never seen anything like this. Because how could you like, how could you possibly have expected any of this to happen? So the one thing I think um, you look at the Giants pitching staff and the names aren't quite up to, let's say, like what the Dodgers have, what the Brewers have, like Logan Webb has had a really nice breakout season. Kevin Gosman, I really like a lot. The bullpen's interesting, though, because Jake McGee is currently injured. Tyler Rogers, uh, I don't know if he's the guy I don't want to. He's had a great season and he prevents hard contact and barrels better than almost anybody, which is great. But he just does not miss bats. And missing bats is often what you want in the postseason because, you know, that one time that blue pit drops and that costs you the game that that matters more than anything. Um, But, you know, when you look at some of the names they have, I think this is a team maybe better positioned to have maybe aside from the Rays, uh, a breakout pitching name that most people don't know. And Matt, do you want to tell us about Camilo Doval? Because I feel like you do. <laughs> I, I certainly do. Um, I saw I saw uh, Peter Gammons actually tweeting about him last night. He made like a a comp to Francisco Rodriguez with the 2002 uh, Angels. And I've actually in, in doing some more research on Doval, I've seen a couple people make that make that comp. Now, granted, he's a little older. He's 24 years old, and it. I saw this 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 other stat, which kind of blew my mind. He's the youngest pitcher to get a save for the Giants since Rod Beck in like 1992, which is crazy because 24 is not that young, but that's kind of neither here nor there. Doval has been up and down a couple times um, all season and was not very good when he was up early in the season in the spring. In fact, he was bad, like an ERA, like over seven bad. Since coming up on September 5th, he has 12 and a third innings pitched, 16 strikeouts, three walks, five hits allowed zero runs. He throws 100 miles an hour. He's got a nasty slider. He basically throws only slider and a fastball, 60% sliders. He's fun to watch. He is a he that's where the the K-Rod comparison comes in cuz he's a guy no one has heard of and he's been getting bigger and bigger innings as the month has gone on 
And you could easily see a situation where he suddenly becomes their most important reliever in October because no one else on the staff has the electric stuff that he has. You know, it's funny. I, I agree with everything you just said about him, but he's not the only guy on this team who could also be that guy. On September 7th, they promoted Curveen Castro, and he has pitched in eight games, 11 strikeouts, one walk, and zero runs. He does not throw 99 like Doval does. He throws more like 94, um, but he's got like a hammer curveball straight up and down. And, you know, it's going to be one of these guys, I think, if the Giants go far. You know, I like the K-Rod comparison. We're going to be like, wait, who? who? Wait, where did this guy come from? They just called somebody up in September, and he's been great. And I think that's part of what makes the Giants so interesting is that, you know, they keep coming up with these dudes. Uh, That will do it for this week's podcast. Remember, this weekend is going to be so much fun. We will be back next week after the wildcard games uh, with a look forward at the rest of the playoffs. Please don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, please leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.